Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, January 24, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I, I guess we'll start uh, with a fun game last night inside Assembly Hall. Final score, Indiana 67, number 11, Michigan State 63. Big win for Archie Miller. Tough loss for Tom Izzo. The Spartans are now 1-2. and two. In their past three games, got killed at Purdue, then beat Wisconsin at home, then lost at Indiana. And those two road losses, by the way, fell behind by 15 points early in both games, so that's not good. Norlander, I don't know if Arch absolutely needed this game. I saw some people tweeting that last night. It's not like a loss would have eliminated Indiana from tournament contention or or got Archie Miller fired. But that said... It's a nice win for him to get. Things haven't been easy at IU so far, but now Indiana in this season got wins over Florida State and Michigan State. Not a bad way to start a resume for what it's worth. Jerry Palm now has the Hoosiers projected as a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament safely in the field. What did you make of Indiana's win over Michigan State last night? Another home win for another Big Ten team. Uh, you know, continuing with that trend that is overwhelmingly aberrational in regard to the rest of the sport there. But a good win for IU, no doubt about it. I think Indiana fans, uh, maybe just a tad bit unfairly, are getting a little uh, thin on patience with Archie Miller. But you're 15 and four, five and three in the league. Here are the Big Ten standings as we head into the weekend. At the top of the league, you've got Michigan State uh, by virtue of its loss at 6-2 right there with your Illinois Fighting Illini at 6-2. Hello. And then the logjam is just incredible. Maryland 5-3, Iowa 5-3, Wisconsin 5-3, Rutgers 5-3, Indiana 5-3. And And then just a game behind the loss column. Hello, Minnesota at 5-4. Penn State at four and four, and then Purdue and Michigan and Ohio State. <laughs> Ohio State lost at home to Minnesota. Um, I believe GP. Hold on, I think that's a sweep, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah that's a sweep. Yep, the first yep. loss of the season. Yeah. Yep, that is. Uh, that is. <laughs> that is a sweep for the Golden Gophers, who are eleven and eight, and very much in the picture. I think I. I said it some. I feel like I'm you right now. I said it somewhere. I can't remember where. I think it was on this podcast, but it might not have been. I, I dismissed Minnesota as an NCAA tournament team within the past 72 hours. That definitely happened. But they're in the middle of the Big Ten with an 11-8 record. Overall, though, for Indiana, good job. Michigan State, you, you know, you, here's what's weird. The Big Ten easily rates as the best conference in America, okay? But it does not have one team in the top nine of the net. As of this morning, there's like there's not an elite team in the conference. Michigan State is eight at Ken Palm overall. Um, I thought the the game, the outcome was more about Indiana State. Or Indiana State, Indiana getting a win over Michigan State. Um, Tillman should have had it. Uh, you know, that's it's one that Let, let's stop there for a second. He should have had it. Okay, he clearly okay for people who didn't watch it. Final seconds, Michigan State down two. Cassius Winston drives, and in real time, I thought he shot it and it got blocked. But it when I went back and watched. It looked like he was just throwing it at the rim to 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 for yeah. Xavier Tillman to 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 dunk it, and then it got swatted. Tillman ends up with it and rushes it back up before he even hits the mm-hmm. ground. So catches in the air, puts it back up, rolls off the rim. Could he have come down with it, went back up, and had the easiest layup in the history of basketball? Yeah, but again, this is why time, time and space, and where are you? It can be, it can be a frenzy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault Tillman. He actually had a really solid game overall. Um, could it, could, could it just, you know, 
Could have been there. Wasn't it, it there. It looked like he thought there was a, a half second left when there yeah. was really like two and a half seconds left. Right. And, and I don't blame him either, by the way. He just he just lost track of, of a second count. It's not the biggest deal. I mean, I mean, it is a big deal, but it's understandable. Right. Tillman had, uh, he had 10 boards, nine points, five dimes, three blocks, a pair of steals. On the whole, he was terrific. I, you could make the argument that he was the best player on the floor in that game um, on Thursday night there. But for IU, 6C, that actually sounds uh, about right overall. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis didn't have his best game, but uh, came up big when they needed him some spots. Joey Brunk had a big – Joey Brunk had a, had a fantastic game, and he had a, he had a big bucket down low um, late there. So to me, the, to me, the upshot of this all is that you've got the tie at the top of the league between Michigan State and Illinois, and who knows what that will mean seven days from now. But um, because of that, uh, to me, the Big Ten is just wonky in that you've got all these teams that are going to make the tournament – but because Michigan State's lost two of his past three and couldn't even crack 45 against Purdue, uh, you can make this statement, and it's an opinion, but you could back it up with a lot of evidence here. The Big Ten's the best league in college basketball, uh, but uh, but it doesn't have a national title contender right now. So that's that's a little bit weird, and we'll see if that changes you know, a month from now or when we start selection Sunday. I'm, sh- I'm sure it will, but I can't call Michigan State a title contender of like top five or top six quality when it's when it's you know lost two of its past three and... Um, and the league is just it's, it hasn't separated itself from the rest of the league. That's all. I, I agree with you. Six seats sounds about right for Indiana right now. Six or seven. If I were putting a bracket together, I'd probably have them as a seven seed. And the reason is because when I was updating the top 25 and one this morning, you know, I, I've always got 26 and then I've got a handful of teams that I just sort of keep track of that are right there on the verge. And so um, the last few teams I have in right now are like Creighton, Rutgers, Wisconsin, who's got a resume that's better than I think most people realize because they have seven losses. And then right outside of that, I've got Colorado, Arizona, and Indiana. When I went and looked at their resume, it's right there. I mean, they, they are three and three in quadrant one opportunities, five and four in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities, no losses outside of the top two quadrants. If you had uh, Indiana ranked right now, that would be totally reasonable. And what's interesting is, so they get the win last night over Michigan State. That was obviously a quad one win. The next three games that they play are also quad one opportunities. Home on Sunday against Maryland, then at Penn State next Wednesday, at Ohio State next Saturday. So Archie's got an opportunity here to not only increase the resume over the next three games, but jump into all of the national rankings and calm that fan base down a little bit. Yeah, and they needed that. Um, I think the Rutgers loss, when it came, you know, IU drops to 13-4. and four. Um, Archie starts talking about whether or not he can really play 10-11 guys, and there's some doubt about that. The team just doesn't shoot well uh, from deep either. It ranks 303rd in America from, from three-point land. Um, so they're not a danger. The only three-point shooter, really the only one they have that's – remotely a threat, I guess, is Devontae Green. Um, Durham's also pretty solid. I guess he technically is leading the the team in, in three-point shooting, but he's not shooting as much as Devontae Green. So they're just um, – they're a quality team. They're not, like, you know, among the sexiest watches or anything like that. But overall, they, they're going to get to the tournament. I, I don't see why that won't happen. Um, two of the next three on the road, I understand that. they still got roadies against, you know, Michigan, Minnesota, Purdue, Illinois, all teams that will be fighting for getting into the tournament there. But – 
This is year three for Archie, 16 the first season in terms of wins, 19 the second season. Obviously, he's going to clear that easily. Uh, they're already at 15 wins with so many to go. They're going to get north of 20 here, so it'll be a nice progression, a nice step. And, yeah, it's going to be – I know IU definitely collapsed down the stretch last season. I don't see a repeat of that. So he'll break in tournament year number three. All is well, or at least it should be considered relatively well by the IU fan base. The computer numbers are vastly different between Indiana and Michigan State, but the actual bodies of work aren't that different at all. I mentioned uh, Indiana f- five and four in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities with no losses outside of the top two con- uh, quadrants. Uh, Michigan State is seven and five in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities, no losses out of the top two quadrants. So not much difference there. Indiana's three and three in quad one games. That's 500. Michigan State is actually three and five now in quad one opportunities. And there was an interesting quote from Tom Izzo last night. He said in the post game, the following quote, I think maybe Cassius, Cassius Winston, of course, is going to have to get mad, maybe mad at the world, maybe mad at me. It's been a little bit of a struggle and I'm just trying to hang with them because it's a tough thing. He's gone through End quote the other night on CBS sports network for a Facebook, Facebook watch hit. We did a countdown of the top 10 players in the country so far this season and Cassius Winston was on there. I'm not sure that he belongs on there, uh, even though he was the preseason national player of the year. He's been good, but not great. Tom's quote underlines it. But if you go look at just numbers from last season compared to this season, points, assist, rebounds, all down. Field goal percentage, down. Three-point percentage, down. Turnovers, up. Now, obviously, he has gone through a horrific, unimaginable personal situation losing his younger brother to suicide earlier this season and so um you know tom uh, notes that every time he's talking about cassius um but but you know still from a strictly basketball perspective he has not been as good this season as he's been as he was last season perhaps the explanation for that is the most obvious explanation in the world his head is in a million different places but still if they are going to uh, be anything close to what we thought they were in the preseason, like Tom Izzo noted, um, Cassius is going to have to snap back to himself. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, he's been uh, he's been very good. A great, it might be you know it's it, he's not quite there, but it's all understandable. Now Tillman has really he's become the player that uh, that I expect him to be, and he's been terrific. Uh, I think Xavier Tillman deserves. Uh, looks as a first-round draft pick in 2020. I think that's for sure. And then it's just, you know, can Aaron Henry be more consistent around him? Rocket Walsh, just a freshman. But show show some pops at a big three uh, against Indiana. Going forward as we spin Michigan State, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if every third or fourth episode we talked about um, where they are in the, in the relative hierarchy nationally in the Big Ten because MSU does not have back-to-back home games the rest of the season. So... Um, they have two spots where they play consecutive road games, one in mid-February and then one as February turns to March. In fact, they play at Maryland on February 29th. I am uh, intending on uh, uh, attending that game. Um, but I bring that up to say, you know, tough league. You're not going to have these – you're not going to have a grace period where you can say, okay, at least our next two are at home regardless of the opponent. That's not going to happen here. So um, they're 14-5, 6-2 overall. And we did. Do I have it still in front of me when we did our Big Ten predictions? All right, I'm not going to bring back all of them, obviously, because I want to. I want to 
re- I want to do that at some point in March. But here's what I did predict: I predicted Michigan State would win the league in 15 and five would do it. Um, I have to stick with that for the purposes of our fun little game there, GP. But I am I'm amending that to say that the winner of the Big Ten is going to have at least six losses. I'm pretty confident of that at this point now with Michigan State having taken that loss and not having back-to-back homers. We'll see if it winds up being Sparty, but um, five losses is obviously reasonable, but I just think that the winner in a 20-game schedule has taken at least six scars. I, I take it a step further. I, I bet the winner first place in the Big Ten will have seven losses. Um, and that's interesting you point out about the schedule. I had not noticed that um, they literally don't have back-to-back home games the rest of the season. It is hard to get on a roll. Yeah, I don't care how good you are when you're playing in a league like that and you don't have consecutive home games ever. Like even if you just look at the Ken Palm projections, it, the rest of the way, it's win, win, loss, win, win, loss, win, 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 loss, loss, win. I mean, they, you can't get you can't get on a, a, a lengthy winning streak or at least the odds are stacked against you doing it. So, um, yeah, you know, there's. You know, Michigan State will be plenty battle-tested by the time it gets to the NCAA tournament, just like every other Big Ten team. I mentioned it early, but let me earlier, but let me put some numbers on it about Michigan State getting off to these slow starts on the road. Um, the the two weekends ago, the game at Purdue, they're down 15 points in the first eight minutes, and then they end up losing that by 29. Uh, last night against Indiana on the road down 15 points in the opening 11 minutes. They obviously battled back, had a chance to win the game, but you're going to go on the road against quality opponents and just go down 15 points early? That's just a that's a hard fight the rest of the way. I I agree. And we'll we'll see what happens. So that was noisy and then obviously um Ohio State just it's tail spinning. I don't know, you know, Ohio State losing uh on its home floor to Minnesota. Marcus Carr hit a tremendous one of the more impressive uh, you know, end of the game threes I've seen this season, just a killer crossover that, that kind of buried them. And so that keeps Minnesota's NCAA tournament hopes alive. Just, you know, you, you have a sweep over Ohio State. That doesn't mean as much now as we thought it would have meant four weeks ago, of course. But um, but Ohio State and Michigan in particular, they're heading the wrong way. We'll see if they can uh, reverse course there. But that was another notable Big Ten event from, from we, last night. We will get to Ohio State momentarily because what I want to do next is focus on three teams that were playing well. We're all in the top ten. And now they're struggling. We're going to do that next. But first, check this out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So it's been a rough week or a rough stretch for three teams that were once top 10 teams but aren't anymore, namely Butler, Memphis, Ohio State. So let's take these teams in alphabetical order, and then I'm going to ask you, Norlander, if you're concerned or unconcerned about those teams' rough stretches. Butler was 15-1, and one, fifth in the AP poll. 
now 15 and four. You can do the math on that. That means a three-game losing streak. Lost to Seton Hall at home, then at DePaul, then at Villanova, down to number 15 at Ken Palm after being as high as number four. Are you concerned about the Butler Bulldogs? Let's quant- let's try and quantify the concern. Um because, you know, preseason expectations were one thing, you know, bottom three, bottom four team in the Big East. That's now not the case, obviously. Expectations heading in were, okay, if Butler, you know, if they get it together, maybe they can crack and be a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. Then, obviously, once you get six weeks into the season, expectations adjust. It's funny how sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you'll get situations where you'll have teams, you know, seemingly undervalued in the preseason. They get to Christmas, they get to New Year's, they play well, and then you go ahead and fast forward and you get to March and you say, oh, you know what, like maybe a little bit like things kind of landed where, where it was expected. Um, maybe we find that to be the case with Butler, though I do think they are better than most people thought uh, the Bulldogs would be. Uh, next game comes, as we tape this, it is Friday night, a biggie at home against Marquette, which is definitely you know, tracking its way to the NCAA tournament as well, and Marcus Howard has been on fire! Um, I don't have too much concern for Butler if we want to say its chances of being a top five seed and making the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. The losses at DePaul by 13, not good. Losing uh, in non-competitive fashion at Villanova is not good, but if you took the—the scores matter, as they should, obviously, but the three losses have come against Seton Hall, yet to lose in the Big East— at DePaul, which is better this season, and then at Villanova, they're all understandable, but you can't lose at home to Marquette. And if you do, then you got to win at Georgetown after that. You got to beat Providence at home, and you got Villanova coming back. So, um, you know, if, if one is the least concerned and 10 is the most concerned about what we're talking about, I'd put Butler at a five. Yeah, I'd put Butler at about a five. And in fact, let's do that going forward. We'll go one to 10. How concerned are you? I'd say about a five as well, because some of this is. Um, schedule induced. I mean, let, let's let's acknowledge that Butler got off to a great start. Let's also remember, as you point out, they were picked eighth in the preseason Big East poll. One of the losses to a team that's undefeated in the league and and looking like a real Final Four contender. That's Seton Hall. The other loss is a road loss to Villanova. The road loss to DePaul, troubling. The last two being double digit losses, troubling. But as long as they come back Friday night and knock this out against Marquette, snap the losing streak, things lighten up a little bit. At Georgetown, tough game, but winnable. Um, And then you get Providence at home, Villanova at home. So they could flip this thing back around pretty quickly. I'd put my level of concern on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm right there with you at about a 5. Let's go to Memphis. Was 12-1, and number 9 in the AP poll. Now 14-4, and dropped three of the past five games. Two of those games to unranked opponents, including, woo boy, a 40-point loss at Tulsa on Wednesday night. They lost 80-40. to 40. They are now down to number 53 at Ken Palm. Matt Norlander, are you concerned about the Memphis Tigers? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit here. I mean... <laughs> you, you should be. 80-40 <laughs> is a hilarious basketball score. That is just a joke. What the hell? And... Shouts to Andy Tulin. I think he's getting a yeah. second shout-out in about three episodes here. Um, he discovered that this was the worst r- loss by any ranked team against an unranked opponent, regardless of venue, in men's Division One in 27 seasons. The biggest margin of defeat, 40 points, 80 to 40. What are we doing here? What's up with your Tigers? 
I'll let you talk about it more. I'm gonna say I'm just gonna say six and a half is my level of concern at this point. Sure, you know that game is the most recent one. It's it's also glaring, um, but you know also taking a loss again also on the road. I get it, but against a Wichita State vying for uh, for the AAC is still yet to play. Yet to play Houston, and actually Memphis is, is I don't know if it's lucky, it's going to play them twice, but those meetings against Houston won't come until later in the schedule, so maybe that will benefit them. But yeah, six and a half level, level of concern for me with Memphis, and if it can be you know the best team in the American and can be that you know five or four seed. Um, I put my level of concern at seven. Now they've got a stretch of games coming up that can get them right. Um, they've got a five-game stretch where four of them are at home. They're all games against sub-70 Ken Palm opponents. So they could, after losing by 40, go reasonably go on a five-game winning streak, and then everything seems fine, whether it is or not. But they're not playing well right now, and it's been trending this way for a little while. Go back to December 30th. They beat Tulane by double digits. That's Tulane. It's, I say I call them Tulane. No, you say Tulane. I changed it after you made fun of me. No, now, listen, no I, want you to be, I want you to be you. It's Tulane. The Mississippi version of me uh, called him Tulane. There you like, go. Like Tulane. But the um, the CBS Sports Island College basketball version of me now calls him Tulane. Okay. So the Tulane Green Wave came into FedEx Forum, and um, they lost 84-73. So if you didn't watch the game, it's like, ah, Memphis beat them by double digits, no big deal. Memphis was down big early and had to fight back to, to get that game under control. Then they lose to so, – so there was some signs there. But, you know, they won the game, whatever. Then they lose to Georgia at home. That's not good. But D.J. Jeffries, second-leading scorer, didn't play in the game. So you could sort of excuse that. Then they go to Wichita State, and they lose by single digits. But they were down 19 in the second half. They just rallied late to make it look competitive. But it was not a competitive game. Then they knock out South Florida. But they were down there late. Had to rally in the final four minutes to win that one. Um, they were in a tight game with Cincinnati late at home before pulling away, and then the wheels just come off at Tulsa. Not only was it the um, worst loss by a ranked team against an unranked team in 27 years, uh, Andy Tulin also told me this, it was only three points away from being the worst loss ever for by a, a, a ranked team against an unranked team. And Memphis is 40 points, fewest amount of points scored in a game since, I believe, 1979. So there was a, a whole bunch of stuff there that's not good. And I, I guess I would I'd close with this, um, well, a couple of things. One, the reason Memphis was ranked high in the preseason and people were talking about maybe a Final Four team, AAC champions, Penny was talking about a national championship, it wasn't because Tyler Harris is back or Alex Lomas uh, is back. It was because of the freshman class. They, they were going to start five freshmen. They did on opening night. And the five freshmen were going to be James Wiseman, uh, Lester Quinones, Damian Baugh, uh, uh, Precious Achua, and Boogie Ellis. Okay, James Wiseman quit the team. Boogie Ellis is, I don't know how closely you've been following this, he's doing nothing. He scored a total of four points in the past four games. Wow. He's lost his, lost his starting job, and when he comes off the bench, he's playing you know, minimal minutes, and he can't make a shot. All right? Um, Damian Baugh also lost his starting job. So what if I told you in the preseason, Norlander, evaluate Memphis for me, but take Wiseman off the team and the third best prospect in the class, Boogie Ellis, assume that he's going to do nothing for them. Now what is Memphis? This is what you get. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, when you I mean, like, yeah. they, 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 Two of their best three incoming yeah. freshmen 
one quit the team; he's not there anymore, and right. the other one is a non-factor right now. That's a problem. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it is, and we'll see going forward here um, what Penny Hardaway and his staff can do to adjust here, because there is there is a potential given how young the team is. Um, and how you know relatively inexper- inexperienced overall the staff is at the, at the D1 level, um, how they can how they can get it right. So one last point on this uh, because it's something I touched on on Virginia, I believe, in the previous podcast. Memphis's offensive efficiency numbers, the, its its rating is down to one. The ranking is 179 now. They're 179th in offensive efficiency. Like last season, they were. Uh, 81st in offensive efficiency. So not good, but like respectable. Somehow they've got better players, same coach, better players, and they're way worse offensively. So figure that out. But um, what I said about Virginia is also true about Memphis. I went through the Ken Palm database yesterday. There has been no school from a top seven conference in the Ken Palm era, which dates back 18 seasons, to make the NCAA tournament with an offensive efficiency rating as bad as 179 in the country. Okay, so we so, have the updated info. Okay, interesting. Yes, right. you, you, can't get th- you can't get there with this number yeah. from a top seven league. Okay. So they're going to have to get significantly better on offense or try to do something that literally hasn't yeah. been done in any of the previous um, 18 seasons. Let's go to Ohio State. Yeah. Was one and one. I mean, 11 and one. Well, they <laughs> – they were one and zero, and then they were nine and zero, and then they were nine and one, and then they were eleven and one. Eleven and one, number two in the AP poll. Now, um, after Thursday's loss to Minnesota at home um, on an incredible shot that you mentioned, they're now twelve and seven. They are one and six in their past seven games, unranked in the current AP poll, unranked in the coaches poll, unranked in the top twenty-five and one unranked in your Hey 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still 14th at Ken Palm, which is just like, you know, th- that's one of those. There's always an anomaly in there, and that seems to be one of them. But your level of concern with Ohio State is what? Let's throw it at an 8 here. Not only that, here's where Ohio State ranks as we record on Friday in all of the metrics that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee will evaluate. It's 23rd in the net, clinging to a relatively respectable number here. But KPI, which is not predictive, it is only based on who you've played and everything that's happened, is 42nd. Strength of record also similarly um, is only based on what you have done, not what it thinks you will do. It's 48th. Uh, so 23 in the net, which is – the net is – if you have any kind of predictive element to your ranking, then your predictive ranking. But the NCAA likes to say that it's not, so it's got three predictive and three non, but whatever. 23rd in the net, 42 in KPI, 48 in strength of record. And then you got the predictives. Shouts to Sagarin. He's got him actually at 34. Seems a bit better. And then uh, Ken Palm's got him at 14. BPI, ESPN's BPI, has Ohio State still at 12. But I'll put the level of concern <sighs> – all right, I'm going to do. I'm going to split this. My level of concern about Ohio State making the NCAA tournament is at a four. My level of concern for uh, Chris Holtman's mental well-being and Ohio State's ability to find itself in the top half of the Big Ten standings is is at an eight. It is in a tailspin. Um, it could technically afford to take that loss because it still has enough slack to get enough and get back into the, the tournament and all that stuff. That's not that's not the issue. It's more that this is just compounding and let's try not mention, you know, last season again for like the fifth time in nine pod episodes here, but um, but you're trying to avoid deja vu all over again, obviously, if you're OSU. Uh, the one win in this seven-game stretch is a home win against Nebraska. Like that's a win almost anybody should be expected to get. The problem for them now is like, it's a little bit like we talked about 
um, Michigan State's like it's hard to get on a winning streak and get right in the Big Ten because you know you can't go ten days without playing a difficult team on the road and so at this rate they're they're projected to finish below five hundred in the Big Ten and that doesn't mean you can't get into the NCAA tournament. But it's not great to try to get into the NCAA tournament, but, you know, multiple games below 500 in the Big Ten. Right now, two and six uh, in, in the league. And listen, they've had injuries, they've had uh, you know suspensions. Yeah. But that still doesn't explain this. How do you explain this? And and honestly, let's just in general, when teams with the same personnel, same coaching staff, go from operating at a high level to Bad. Butler, Memphis, Ohio State. Those aren't the only three examples, but those are the three biggest examples in this particular week. How how does that happen? Like what? Because people keep asking me, what's wrong with Ohio State? I'm like, it's the same players and the same coaching staff. I don't know how you can go from beating Villanova by 25 to losing at home to Minnesota. Yeah, no, it's it's downright uh, it's mysterious. I mean, I know you were just over the moon. For Ohio State, we don't need to get into your, you know, your, your carnal levels of intrigue with the get, Buckeyes. GetRoman.com. Get yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, um, team turns the ball over way too much. That's been, a, that's been a big factor. And for as solid as it is down low, uh, you know, I find it to be a bad combination of its turnovers and for whatever reason – um, Holtman and his staff not getting enough out of the bigs, and they also are playing slow. So they aren't getting interior success, and then they're turning it over too much, and they're not playing a ton of possessions, and that's why you see them losing 62-59, 61-57, 66-54. Um, that's, that's kind of all in one here. Um, I will note, by the way, real quick here, um, I don't. We don't need to talk about these teams, but just some shouts to three other teams that have gone the other way. That confidence is rising. Seton Hall's fifteen and four. It's got a nine-game winning streak. It's longest winning streak in seventeen seasons, and it's seven and zero in the league. So it's going the other way. LSU started seven and four. It's undefeated as well in the SEC. Six and zero has a game against Texas this weekend. It's fourteen and four. It's kind of like zipping way way under the radar. And then Syracuse, who uh, I think we have buried three times on the podcast this season, was eight and seven, has gone and won four in a row, including three of those being road games. Plays at home against Pitt. I still don't think it's in the NCAA tournament picture just yet, but it's not dead. So shouts to those three teams doing the opposite of what we talked about with Memphis and Ohio State and Butler. So when we recorded the previous podcast, it was Wednesday, I believe a little afternoon Eastern. The suspensions for the players involved in the Kansas-Kansas State fight had not yet been announced. They have now been announced. Silvio D'Souza uh, got 12 games. David McCormick got two. James Love got eight. Antonio Gordon got three. Norlander, are you okay with the suspensions levied by the Big 12? I am, and uh, the – what was did you have in a, like whether it was internal or for the purposes of the uh, top twenty five and one HQ anything like well how many games did you think DeSosa was going to get I, when I went on CBS Sports HQ Wednesday afternoon yeah. and when I was asked to guess the suspension mm-hmm. or predict the suspension or what would be fair I said something like nine to twelve games would make sense to me so I, I'm fine with it twelve games makes sense to me it makes sense my my guess was eight. Um, 
I think that had DeSouza not picked up the stool, he's probably looking at eight uh, when you bring in that element there. That is clearly part of it. And also, the length of it means that he will not be on the floor uh, for the Kansas at Kansas State game later in the season. That will be the 11th of his 12-game suspension that he will wind up sitting out there. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm good with it. And in fact, we've I think we've mostly, well, I say this knowing that game day is going to be at Kansas on Saturday, so they will actually relitigate this probably on the first in, in the entire A block. A uh, little TV jargon for you when game day goes on the air on Saturday morning, and they'll talk about the incident and the, and the, the fallout and any other things. But um, this did seem relatively contained to a 24-hour news cycle, which is probably for the best and really what was appropriate there. Uh, 12 is harsh, but I don't think it's unfair. Uh, Sylvia DeSosa had a... Um, a terrific apology that he posted on social media. I don't know if he wrote it all himself, if he had the help of his coach or, or friends or family members. I don't care. Uh, it was it was worded beautifully. It was completely, uh, you know, within uh, a responsible tone. He said, I screwed up. He just owned all of it, okay? And uh, I, you can't ask for much more uh, than that there. He knows he made a, made a terrible mistake. We'll see uh, if and when he gets back on the floor when the suspension is up. Um I was a little surprised. Only on one more thing from here, GP, uh, from me. Um, since it was such a, it was a melee here. Uh, I didn't know if it might be more than four guys. You know, um, now James Love is a non-factor for Kansas State. In fact, he doesn't even have his suspension take effect until he is healthy and cleared to play, which is the right move. But given how many uh, players were involved in it, you know, obviously the Big 12 and K-State and Kansas reviewed the video and they determined that only those four players, I guess, were the only ones that actually technically threw punches in there. And so that's why uh, we have what we have. And, and Gordon getting eight is, he was an instigator in it. I don't, th uh, I mean, uh, Gordon getting three. Well, he was an instigator as well in it. So I don't have much of an issue with that. But we, uh, we move along. K-State's not an NCAA tournament team. Uh, it's almost just, you know, an afterthought with this. We just see David McCormick. He's an important player. Maybe it affects Kansas for this game on Saturday against Tennessee. I don't really know. Tennessee's uh, not a great team this season, but um, ultimately I'm, I'm fine with the punishments and uh, kind of got out of the business of having like massive reactions to links of games when it comes to this stuff a long time ago because there is no perfect formula no matter what seems reasonable enough to me. Yeah, I, I'm fine with them too. Um, you know, I, 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 like I said on the previous podcast, if they would have dismiss Silvio from the program. I would not have protested um, on his behalf, like whatever he got. Um, if it was that severe, like, you know, you were throwing punches and picking up stools, you know, in like literally in a basketball game. I know they thought the game was over, but the game was not over. So you were throwing punches and picking up stools in a basketball game. Um, if that's the end of it for you, then that's the end of it for you. But 12 games seems appropriate. It's not an insignificant number. It's enough to, to send a message to prove a point, but it doesn't you know, permanently end his college basketball career. I'm fine with that. Let's go to the final four and one. If you uh, don't know how it works, I, I, honestly, I, I don't know why you don't know how it works. At this <laughs> GP, you, don't need, you don't need to explain it. We pick five games. We pick five games. I pick four. Norlander gets the A and one. We will take them in the order that they will tip off this weekend. Okay. You want to update us on the records first? Oh, yeah. Uh, gladly. <laughs> gladly. Uh, I am 31-23-1. Parrish, 22-32-1. Before you get to these, have you made your picks on your four games? No. Oh, my gosh. All right, then you know what? For the first one, present the game, give me your pick, and then I will pick, and I will pick whatever I think is going to win. I don't want you just picking the opposite one because then everyone knows that you're um, whatever I pick, you're going to do the opposite. Then that eliminates the fun and the intrigue. Okay, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> 
minutes. <laughs> Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, this says the guy who's down by like 10 picks, but okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, LSU at Texas. You can watch it on ESPN. <laughs> Ken Palm has a projected spread of LSU minus one. I'll give you my pick on this one Let's first. Do it. I- I'm going to take Texas at home, if only because, man, Shaka needs a win bad. And to take a home loss to a currently unranked LSU team, but will probably be ranked on Monday LSU team if they win this game, uh, would be tough because I can't remember what day it was. I guess Texas lost, I don't know, on Big Monday? or it, they it, lost, it was this week. <laughs> they lost earlier this week, the Longhorns. And when I woke up the next morning, everybody on social media was deb- every like five people on social media <laughs> were, de- <laughs> were debating Shaka Smart's life. <laughs> You're right in career choices Five and style people. of play and everything else. So uh, I'm going to go with Texas because um, because like I, I think Shaka needs this win more than Will needs this win. And by the way, former yeah. coworkers, that's like, correct. You know, former yeah. VCU coaches and and Will, you know, wor- Will and Shaka worked together at Clemson. Then Will worked for Shaka at VCU. Um, so that's another storyline um, in this it, Big it, 12 it, SEC Challenge matchup. It is a storyline. Um, and I don't know how close Will Wade and Shaka Smart are these days versus, you know, five, eight years ago. But it is a, an interesting plot line there. And I will also take the Longhorns uh, getting one on the home floor. A loss here. And, yes, the scuttlebutt around the security of Shaka at Texas, I think, will increase. Fair or not, that will be an inevitability um, given, you know, the expectations coming in. All right. What do you got next? Uh, Saturday, I'm trying to make sure I've got these in the right order. Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Okay, there we go. It's number seven, Dayton. Yeah, it is. At Richmond. Okay. You can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Kim Pom's got it, Dayton, minus six. Minus six on the road at the Spiders. Trivia time. Okay, let's go. How many mascots in Division One men's basketball have the nickname the Spiders? How many Three. schools? No, it's just one. It's just Richmond. So um, <laughs> I didn't know any other. I was just taking. I was just throwing a number out. Do you know the most common nickname in men's Division One basketball? Tigers. I believe it's Wildcats. Yeah, I'm just well, that's. I'm sixty. <laughs> I'm sixty-four. I'm sixty-four percent sure that it's Wildcats. Trivia uh, time, and you don't know the answer. <laughs> that's the glory. I don't that is understand. Amateur, that's amateur that is why we do heard. this. That is why we do this. I'm going to give my pick, then you're going to talk, and I'm going to confirm it because I'm going to look it up here. Flyers are tremendous. But you know what? Spiders, by the way, not af- I'm not afraid of spiders. Are you afraid of spiders? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want them around. Well, like if you were podcasting, like I'll tell you that. Uh, um, if if I was podcasting right now and I noticed that there was a spider on my hand, I would have no reaction. I would just pick it up. If you were podcasting and noticed a spider on your hand, what would be your reaction? What kind of spider, Norland? There's different kinds of spiders. Let's go with um, let's go with a black spider that's the size of a dime. No, I don't even know where to be good. That. Yeah, but like a like a. You know, the, the spiders that you see in movies that when they, they get you, you've got to go to the hospital. I'd freak out if that one was on me. Well, sure, man. I got you. Um, what are we talking about? Dayton, uh, Richmond. I will take have, Chris have Mooney. Out, go, Google the Richmond spider mascot. Oh, it's 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 gloriously <laughs> hideous. 
this thing, it is amazing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> thank you. Wild mascot. This will be one of my images for no context preview for the pod. Richmond spider mascot. Um, and now if you're listening, you saw the Twitter tweets. Now you know. Uh, I will take Richmond to cover the six at home. It is improved this season. Dayton is really good, and I think uh, I could be made to look a big-time fool with this. But give me Richmond. I'm taking Dayton minus the six, and not just because you went the other way. But that's because uh, as the MC of the Atlantic 10 Media Day, I, uh, I, I want Dayton to continue to be awesome because that, that's a great story. Like if you look – think about this. On Selection Sunday, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying it's not it's 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 under the umbrella of of possible things. We could have a one seed from the A10, a one seed from the West Coast Conference, and a one seed from the Mountain West Conference. Yes. Oh, I got I got I got stuff for you up and down here. First of all, that's incredible. And even if that doesn't happen, did I mention again? I have said this. I just can't remember where. I don't think it was on the previous podcast. We have never had. And shouts to a reader for submitting this for the court report. We have never had an NCAA tournament since the seeding began in 79 where all four one seeds were west of the Mississippi. And obviously that's the case because normally you'll have a North Carolina or a Duke or a Villanova. Or just an East, an East Coast-based team is always in there, at least one of them. Even Kentucky is on the, is is, uh, is east of the Mississippi and it's in there. Uh, but this season, if the only way it can really happen is if Gonzaga and San Diego State, and then uh, if they get there, say San Diego State only loses once and Gonzaga only loses once, they'll have good cases. And then if Baylor and Kansas really separate themselves they could also be there because right now those four teams are really in the top five for bracketology discussions and if so it'll be the first time ever all four one seeds west of the mississippi how about that how about that so dayton is sitting here um with the second best offensive efficiency rating in the country effective field goal percentage number one two point field goal percentage number one ob toppin awesome jalen crutcher fun um, it's a good basketball team, man. And I wonder, and I don't want to get too far down the road on this because we're just picking games here, but Anthony Grant has never, not at VCU, not at Alabama, had a team that plays this way. I wonder if he, how much he benefited from spending a couple years in the NBA and being around NBA offenses and, and then bringing that back to college basketball. Yeah, I can't answer that for you. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does benefit. I will say this, though. On Dayton, you mentioned that Dayton's the uh, the number one, number two offense. It's number two in two point percentage. Here's how absurdly good Dayton is from two point percentage. It's shooting sixty two point seven percent from the field. Number two in America is Loyola Chicago at fifty seven point four. Okay, so you're looking at a five point three percent difference between those two. The same gap between one Dayton and two Loyola Chicago is the same between two Loyola Chicago and all the way down. At number 74, Clemson, 50. So that's insane. Dayton is that much better than the rest of the field. Two and 74 is the same statistical gap as two versus one in two-point percentage. They're killer inside the three-point line. You can just chalk that up to Obi Toppin dunks, basically. Without a, there's, there's just no doubt about it. By the way, mm. okay, I got, some, I got some data here. All right, I got – it says this is – I'm going to credit the score – it says, Bulldogs are the most represented mascots among Division I schools in the United States, according to a study conducted by Grand Canyon University. Bulldogs, I guess I'd buy that. I feel like there was more Wildcats, though. I don't know, Wildcats, right? Gonzaga Bulldogs, Mississippi State Bulldogs. 
the most winning mascots in America, team names that have won the most sports-specific conference championships. Wildcats have won more than anyone else, and then Tigers, and then Bulldogs. But it looks like it's Bulldogs, then Tigers, then Wildcats. There's your top three. Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern, number 15, Kentucky, at number 18, Texas Tech. You can watch it on ESPN. Ken Palm has it projected. Texas Tech, minus four. <sighs> hmm. I'll take... All right, so we do have a, a small bit piece of news to go with this, by the way. Khalil Whitney, freshman for Kentucky, was a five-star player, was actually someone, and I never I never really saw it. Not saying that I was right, just, you know, I'm often more wrong than I am right on this, but I actually never saw Khalil Whitney, one-and-done talent. Uh, I didn't quite see that. He is transferring out of Kentucky. We'll see where he winds up. Our buddy Jeff Borzello says, don't be surprised if Georgetown is a perceived front-runner to get Khalil Whitney after the fact there. So he's gone. I will take Texas Tech minus the four here. To me, this is the most intriguing game of Saturday. Um, one thing on Khalil Whitney, and I, I would ag- agree, I, I would assume he's transferring. Worth noting in his way too long <laughs> announcement, he did not use the word transfer. What did he, he say? He, he just said he's leaving Kentucky. What is that? Okay. Oh, so, I gotcha, 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 gotcha. Like he might go into the draft. I gotcha. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah. could just try to become a professional yes, right now. Yes, he, yes. he did not say I'm going to explore other you know transfer opportunities or enter the transfer portal he said that he's ready to get on with the next chapter in his life and and um you know work toward his goal of uh, of achieving his dream of of presumably playing in the nba so um i know a lot of people are are calling it a transfer i believe my tweet even called it a transfer but when i went back and read the entire announcement he did not use the word transfer at all so we'll see uh it, you know he could do whatever he wants it doesn't matter to me um okay this is great. Uh, I, I was just on CBS Sports HQ earlier, and they told me I did not know. It's one of the most expensive tickets of any college basketball game on the secondary market all season long, so to this date. Hmm. And it's why I like the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, I know the coaches, not all of them love it because it takes you out of your conference schedule like in January, which is nothing really bad about it, but it is unusual. And coaches are – a, a, a creature of habit like they like things the way things are um but but the the great thing about this event is that it puts schools in places they would never otherwise go john calipari would never in a million years take his team to lubbock texas and now the kentucky wildcats are in lubbock texas so um that's gonna be fun a terrific game on saturday night uh i'm gonna take kentucky plus the points um now it's worth noting that texas tech has only lost four times with Jamias Ramsey. He missed two games, and they were both, I think, overtime losses to, I want to say, Creighton and DePaul. Um, but, you know, they've only lost four times in regulation. They've only lost four times with their best player. So they're a little bit better than the record indicates. Still coming off a loss at TCU. I think these are comparable teams. At the under four, I would suspect it's a one-possession game. And so in that situation, just give me the team with the points. I'll take Kentucky plus the four. What did you take? I took Texas Tech. Okay, good. Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's number one Baylor at Florida. You can watch it on ESPN. Hold up. Something ain't right. How are both those games on ESPN? <laughs> they can't both be on ESPN at the same time. Because no, Baylor at Florida is at 8 o'clock, and then Kentucky at Texas Sex is at 6. Okay, I, well, then I had the time wrong. That's, that's my mistake. That's on me, Norlander. Yeah, 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 I think it is. Okay, what's that's, the line? Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, number one Baylor at Florida. You can watch it, for real, on ESPN. 
Baylor minus one, according to Ken Palm. Baylor projected to get a win in the O-Dome. Do you ever think you'd live today to see that? It's not It's not the O-Dome anymore. We've gone over that junk. Um, it's the O-Dome forever. That's the Stephen C. O'Connell Center. Uh, we had to make picks for .com. I already made this. I am going to uh, I'm going to fade uh, fade them Bears. Um, give me give me the Gators. Uh, I think I'm like three and zero picking Florida this season, um, even though they've been a bit unpredictable. Uh, Mike White's team could really really use a nice little resume boost here. Preseason top ten squad. Um, haven't looked anything like that, but yes, I will take Florida at home. This one will be. Um, it will be defensive. It will be ugly. I would be honestly stunned if the winning team got to 66 or 67 points. I'm going to take Scott Drew's Bears as a one-point favorite in the O-Dome, but obviously there will. It, it would be perfect for this season for underachieving Florida to mm-hmm. to knock off the number one team in the country. Like that. That's a total total totally sensible thing in this season. Florida 12 and six overall, one and three in quadrant one games. Um, the computer numbers are still pretty good, like top 30 at Ken Palm, but they've only got two top 50 uh, wins and three losses to sub-60 Ken Palm teams, specifically Utah State, UConn, and Missouri. And some of their problems, we were talking about this with Memphis earlier, like what happens when your recruits that you're relying on aren't real performers? Same thing happened in Florida. Trey Mann is averaging 5.1 points, 0.6 assists, and 16.1 minutes per game. So there's a five-star prospect who's given them nothing. I went and made a list earlier today before Khalil Whitney announced he's leaving Kentucky of five-star prospects having almost no impact. It's Trey Mann, Khalil Whitney, and Samuel Williamson at Louisville, just just bit players, even though they were heralded recruits coming in. So I'll take Baylor minus the one, but I won't be surprised at all if uh, if, if the number one team in the country takes a loss to a team that's uh, unranked. That's the way this season has gone. All right, my game, game number five. We're going to go to Sunday, although I will say, just a quick heads up, I like to give a heads up on a couple of good ones here. Intriguing ones we are not going to pick. Michigan at home, near must win, plays against Illinois, mentioned previously earlier in this episode there. Um, Villanova at Providence, that's a CBS 1 o'clock tip. I will be in studio in Stanford for pregame, halftime, and postgame analysis along with other highlight goodies uh, on CBS Sports HQ. Be, turn to, be sure to tune into that. That's Nova at Providence, Saturday at 1 o'clock on CBS. And then, to me, uh, Washington at Colorado is interesting because Washington's about – we talked about the team sliding. Washington's one we didn't get to. They are in deep trouble if they can't uh, pull off a road win there. But my game is going to be – it's going to be a Sunday tip GP. We've got San Diego State playing at UNLV. Now, SDSU is undefeated. It's 20-0. I have a piece up at cbsports.com right now if you are so intrigued or uh, curious i looked at every single team since 1992 that was the last team to be undefeated in college basketball some optimistic trends if you're an sdsu fan in fact the past two seasons you had virginia be the lose on the last day last season along with michigan they both were the last undefeated teams they fell and then the year before villanova along with TCU and Arizona State, all fell on the final day. Villanova won the title that year. Surprisingly enough, GP, we didn't have one undefeated team even make it to New Year's Day. We talk about how crazy this season is. We've got other evidence in years past. Anyway, San Diego State is a nine-point favorite, according to Ken Palm, at UNLV on Sunday. That is a CBS Sports Network uh, broadcast at 4 p.m. I am going to take T.J. Otzelberger, one of your sworn enemies in the business, and I will take his running Rebels to cover the nine. Who you got? 
TJ Otzelberger is not my sworn enemy. <laughs> TJ Otzelberger is my friend. Um, and he's going to do he's going to do great at UNLV. He's just got to turn that roster over. Um, he's got, I believe, David Jenkins sitting out right now who was with him at South Dakota State. So the running Rebels will be back soon enough. But in this particular game, I'm going to have to lay the points with my San Diego State Aztecs. I've adopted the Aztecs as my team. Well, everyone knows that few few in the national media have been more uh, in on the Aztecs overall as a program in the past decade than you, for sure. I have always been supportive of the San Diego State Aztecs, and my Twitter mentions from San Diego State fans uh, support that. Always, and yes. Not, not only have I – San Diego State fans once held a sign – while I was in studio for CBS Sports Network, the student section, I don't know if it was student section, it was fans, said, said fire Gary Parrish. Yeah. Fire Gary Parrish. Sign. And it, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. It's, it's not just that. It, you make it seem like, okay, maybe it's a couple of like 20-year-olds behind the basket with uh, a piece of 36 by 36 cardboard. Uh, no, no. We're talking a banner that <laughs> I have not seen the image in a good while here. In fact, I am going to I'm going to I'm going to look it up here in a second. But I want to say that it was at least at least like 10 people, 15 people long. Like it was a it was a project. It was a let's do this on Friday night, guys, and get it done here. Yeah, they were committed to the cause. But um Fast forward to January 2020, I am San Diego State's biggest supporter. I did a Facebook watch hit on Wednesday night, you can find it on Facebook. It's also my Twitter feed. Talked for about three minutes, 50 seconds about why uh, San Diego State is so good, why San Diego State is such a great story, and then predicted that San Diego State will have a zero in the loss column on Selection Sunday and be a number one seed. Go Aztecs. Go Aztecs. I'm laying the points. Wow. And you think they're not going to lose again? I think they're going to lose. I, I do think they're going to lose, um, but we'll see. All right, so you'll take the Aztecs. I, I will say um, – man. They, they are projected by Kim Palm to be at least a seven-point favorite in every remaining regular season game. And it'll be bigger than that on a neutral court in the, in the Mountain West Conference tournament. The, the tricky place, I mean, at UNLV could be tricky. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at New Mexico could be tricky. But the one that, that looks like it's the biggest obstacle to going undefeated would be at Nevada, regular season finale, mm -hmm. February 29th, because Nevada – I think it's one dating back to last season, 16 straight games at home. Uh, that's a tough place to play. And if San Diego State is coming in there undefeated on February 29th, obviously it'll be, it'll be rocking in there. And SDSU sits at 20-0. That's a, that ties the program record. It also is, you know, this is, you know, coincidental if nothing else, but since 1992, the average record of the last undefeated team in college basketball before it took its first loss 20-0, and that's what San Diego State is right now, so potentially that will be a negative omen for the Aztecs on Sunday. We wait and see. So, Norlander told you he's going to be on CBS Sports HQ on Saturday. I will be on the sideline as the sideline reporter uh, for SMU at number 20 for now, uh, Memphis on CBS Sports Network. So, if you want to see Norlander, go to CBS Sports HQ. If you want to see me, go to CBS Sports Network Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, SMU at Memphis. Shouts! To Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Antigua. He's a legend. Shouts to Lauren Allen. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. While you're there, rate it favorably. Five stars. Leave a nice comment. Ask a question if you want. We might get to it on Wednesday. But either way, we're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. That's when we'll recap the weekend. Until then, take care.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.